I wanted to tell you about the church I grew up in because when I was 26 years old, I became pastor of that church, which is really unusual to pastor your own home church. I wasn't there long. Uh, it, it went by fast, but I have a lot of good memories. I've got a lot of stories. So one of them is one Wednesday night, it was a really, really bad weather day. I think it was a, one of those one of those days, you know how Texas is, we don't really have winter, but then we have winter, you know, just all of a sudden. And uh, that's what happened on that day. And so uh, Carrie didn't even come because Kaylee had just been born. There's no way she was taking her out in that. And so I get up on, a Wednesday, on my Wednesday night to give my Wednesday night message, which, side note, by the way, uh, that's resuming this week. James talked about it, and, and I'm going to be doing uh, the Gospel of John. But uh, this Wednesday, I'm going to talk about our trip to Israel. So if you're interested in that and you, you're not involved in something else, I hope you'll come. So anyway, I get up on Wednesday night there at Hope Baptist Church, ready to get my Bible study, and there's a grand total of five other people in the room. And four of them are my parents and my grandparents. So uh, sort of jokingly, I said, you know, I've been working really hard on this. You think I should save this for when there's more people here? And my grandma, I'm not making this up, my grandma just out of nowhere says, well, you know, when we go feed the cows, if only a few show up, we don't pour out the whole bag of feed. And I was like, okay. And I laughed out loud and I closed my Bible and I prayed and we went home. Um, now that's not about to happen here, so don't get excited. If you are offended that someone compared you to a cow, talk, take it up with Marie Williams. She's in heaven. You'll see her when you get there. Uh, but in that church, growing up, there were certain things we did. Every church has their little traditions. One of them was every Sunday we sang this song that we called the doxology. And some of you are my age or older. You'll get it, but most of you aren't, so you probably don't remember this. I want to sing it for you just so you hear it. Um, if you know it, please sing it along with me because you know by now I'm not much of a singer. But it, it went like this. It was, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Thank you. Thank you for helping me. Uh, we didn't sing the Amen at the end. I know some of you grew up doing that. I think at Hope Baptist Church, they were afraid you'd become Catholic if you did that or something. I don't know. Like, that's the worst possible thing. But anyway, um, I was an adult by the time I found out that the word doxology didn't actually refer to that song. It's, it's a, a real term. It comes from uh, Bible scholars who've taken two Greek words, the word doxa, which means glory, and the word logos, which means word, and they've combined it and made doxology, words of glory, right? And, and it refers to, as Nathan said earlier, anytime a character in Scripture just sort of spontaneously bursts out into praise, just they can't help themselves. They're in the middle of a conversation or in the middle of a letter or in the middle of an encounter, and they just have to just praise the Lord. You just have to talk about how good He is. And we're studying that because these people, I think you and I can agree, these people knew God better than you and I do. They know things about Him that we don't. And I believe that, that worship is what we were made for. You weren't made to sit on your, your rear end and watch Netflix or watch football. You weren't made to golf. You weren't made to work. You weren't made for all the things. I mean, all those things are fine. You were made to connect with God. And when you do that, and not just Sunday morning, but whenever your heart is focused on Him and you're aware of His presence and you're, you, you are trying your best to glorify Him and to make Him proud, that's when you're at your best. 
That's when you're experiencing life as it was meant to be lived. And we believe at First Baptist, in fact, there are three things that you need to do and that we can offer you as a church that help you become the person you're supposed to be. And one of them is connecting with God in worship. The other two are uh, being formed into Christ-like qualities, growing in Christ-like qualities, and that happens in our life groups as we interact with one another, as we, as we help each other through life, and then reaching others with His love, connecting, growing, and reaching. But we're talking here at the beginning of the year about how to really worship. Because the truth is, when I tell people that, I always have people come to me and say, listen, Jeff, I'm not good at worship. If you want me to hand out bulletins, if you want me to nail shingles onto a roof on a mission trip, if you want me to, to do something with my hands, if you, want me to, if you want me to interact with people, I'm fine with that. I'm just not good at singing and, and raising my hand and getting all weepy and, and praying and all that emotive stuff. I'm just not good at that. And, and what I want to say to you if you're in that category is, the problem is not your singing voice, although you probably can't sing, okay? Let's be honest. That's okay. Don't join the choir. Don't, don't get on the worship team. The problem isn't your, your personality. The problem is your vision. Because the Bible shows us that whenever someone, no matter who they are, king to a, to a peasant, man, woman, rich, poor, whenever they met God, whenever they saw God, whenever they experienced His presence in a new way, they had one universal uh, response, and that was to fall on their knees and worship Him. And I believe if you and I will see God, if we will come to know Him in a new way, through these words of praise by these people who know Him better than we do, it's going it's to result in you and I worshiping Him in a new way, connecting with Him in a new way, and changing us forever. So we're going to read a, a very short doxology from the book of Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. It goes like this, Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And the first thing you notice right off the bat is that phrase, far more abundantly. Now, that's not the way we tend to talk. That's not normal human language. I, I, it's like when you meet a little kid and they're eating an ice cream cone and you say, well, how's that ice cream? And they say, it's super amazing awesome. And you think, okay, that's cute. But that's not how people talk. You don't get that effusive with things. You don't use multiple adjectives and adverbs. You just use one. But Paul says one won't do. It's not enough to say God will do more than we can think. It's not enough to say He'll do far more than we think. You have to say He'll do far more abundantly than all we can ask. Or think. Paul is essentially saying, whatever you think God's capable of, multiply that by infinity, add a little bit to it, and then you're somewhere in the ballpark. Because God is able. He is far more abundantly able to do all that you could ask or think. And that's good news for us if we know that He loves us. That's good news because every time we pray, we know we can't out-pray God. We can't give Him a challenge that He's incapable of meeting. And when we're, when we're under stress and under pressure, when we have the world against us, we know that God can handle it. He's far more abundantly able than we can possibly imagine or think. But I need to tell you a couple of things in order to understand this promise better so you don't get the wrong idea. And the first one is, this is not God saying, therefore, you can have whatever you want. Because He's your God and He can do anything. He will give you everything you ask for. He will make all your dreams come true. That is the impression you will get if you listen to certain preachers and certain ministries and read certain Christian books. But it's not biblical. And Paul himself is testimony of that fact. If you know the story of Paul, if you don't know it, 
read the book of Acts, but if you know the story of Paul, you know that the day he accepted Christ, the day he became a follower of Jesus, his life got harder, not easier. His life did not become materially better. In fact, he lost a lot of things that were materially important to him. Paul's testimony shows us that following Jesus doesn't make life an easy road or, or issue in some of the things that this world considers success. It is possible to be successful by the world's account according to and still follow Jesus. It's just not guaranteed. And sometimes following Jesus gets in the way of that earthly luxury and, and pleasure and, and success. So what is he talking about? If he's not talking about, uh, you know, essentially a genie from Aladdin's lamp. Well, you had, like with so many things in Scripture, basically all of Scripture, you need to read not just two verses, but the, the broader context. What is Paul talking about when he bursts into these words of praise? He has just gotten through praying for his friends in Ephesus. He says, here's what I'm praying for you. And I want to read that prayer for you. It's, it's in verses 14 through 19, and then we'll talk about it. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So again, let me restate. Can God, is God able to heal whatever health issue you're dealing with? Yes. Is God able to reconcile fractured relationships? Is God able to supply your financial needs? Is God able to do miracles? Yes, yes, yes. But in this specific context, when Paul says that God is far more abundantly able, he's specifically talking about he is able to do the things I just prayed for you. And what did he pray? He prayed that, that Christ would dwell in their hearts, that he would teach them to to know His love in a more perfect way, that He would fill them to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, that He would give them a joy that they didn't think possible, that He would make them into the kind of people that they never would have dreamed they could become, that they would experience the fulfillment of all the promises of God that came about at the cross. The fulfillment of all of that would be present in their lives. And you might say, well, Jeff, I've got saved. I, you know, I, I prayed that Christ would come into my heart like Lennon this morning. I got baptized. I know I'm a believer. Yeah, but you and I have not experienced all that God is able to do in our lives. In a way, we're like orphans out on the street that have lived our lives on our own begging and stealing and fighting and scratching and clawing and suddenly, unexpectedly, we're adopted by the king. And we go from living on the street to living in a palace and we go from wearing rags to wearing expensive clothing and we have a new name and we have a new identity and yet in our hearts we still live like street kids. We still steal from one another and we still get mad over ridiculous things and we, we have all this anger and fear instead of the joy and the peace and the purpose that comes from being a son or daughter of the king. And Paul is just saying, I want you to experience all of it. I want, I want God to pour out the whole bag on you. And I want you to, to, to leave none of it in the sack. I want you to experience every bit of it. So that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a, uh, the abundant life. The other, the other thing I need to clarify for you, and this is one of my major themes. I, I talk about this a lot. Some of you are going to laugh when I say this because you hear this from me all the time. But you notice that he says you, Y-O-U, over and over again. And most of the time in the New Testament, when it says you, it's a plural you. 
And because the people who translated the Bible into English were not from the southern United States, specifically Texas, they don't translate it correctly. They just translate it you. It should say, it really should say, that y'all may be filled to all the measure of the fullness of God. And I'm, I'm not joking. That is, that is y'all, literally translated from Greek to English. And the reason I'm making such a big deal about it, by the way, if you don't believe me, notice later on at the end of the passage, he says that to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. The whole point of this is you can't experience all these things that God has, has sent his son to die to give you unless you're part of a church unless you are part of the body of Christ. There's no such thing as a solo Christian. The idea is as ridiculous as saying, I'm going to be the greatest baseball player who ever lived, but I don't want to join a team. I mean, teams, who needs a team? They're just, they're just let you down. I mean, they're just, I, I, don't, I don't go with all that. I'm just going to take my paycheck every week and cash it and turn it into quarters and go to the batting cage until I'm the best hitter on earth. Yeah, but if you're not part of a team, what good is it going to do? You've got nobody to drive in and nobody to drive you in. You need to be part of the body of Christ if you're to become all that God called you to be. If you're to experience and accomplish all that He put you here to experience and accomplish. So Paul has just prayed that for his friends. And now he bursts into this incredible song of praise. Why? Because he's excited that he's seeing it happen. Everything he's praying for is taking place in the city of Ephesus. He's seeing fellow Jews like himself go from legalistic and racially proud and self-righteous to being humble, loving sinners, having compassion on people who've fallen. He's seeing Gentiles who've grown up in a culture that says, hey, if you want to be happy, you need to engage in these kinds of sexual practices and you need, to, you need to pursue this social advancement and you need to trample on anybody who gets in your way. And they're giving up on all of that in, in order to just love God and love their neighbors. And they're experiencing peace and joy and fulfillment as a, as a result. And he's seeing those two groups, Jews and Gentiles, that have hated each other for decades, for centuries. They're now coming together within one body of Christ and calling each other brother and sister. And he knows only God can do that. In fact, the Ephesians know this because if you read Acts, you see that just a few years before Paul wrote this letter, there's the, there was a riot that broke out in the city. Now, people today riot for all kinds of reasons. Some of them uh, somewhat righteous, sometimes not. But the Ephesians rioted because they were so upset that so many people were becoming Christians, they were afraid nobody would be left to worship the goddess Artemis anymore. And what is poor Artemis going to do if she doesn't have any worshipers? Let's burn down the city. And it's just a sign that when, when God is on the move and we're actually following him, the devil gets very, very concerned. And he starts to do kind of crazy haywire things. And you might ask me, well, Jeff, is that, is that kind of thing happening in our church? I don't mean riots in the city, but I mean, are we seeing God's fullness poured out on us? Let me just share with you some of the things that I see. Now, I, the video you saw, but I want to put some numbers and some stories to it. This is a paragraph that I wrote for our leader meeting about a month ago. Our life group leaders, our deacons, our, our uh, committee members got together, and I shared with them some of the things that happened in 2022. So here's what I, here's what I wrote. Last year at First Baptist, we added 152 new members to our church family, which is the most we've had since I've been here. 
Our kids' ministry is constantly seeing uh, little boys and girls coming to know Christ and getting baptized like you saw already this morning and like you saw on the video. Uh, there's an incredible revival that is taking place in our student ministry. It started, it basically started uh, during the student mission trip last summer and, and it's just spread from there. And guys, if you don't know our teenagers, if you haven't spent any time around them, you'd be impressed. And you should be impressed. There's some, there's some amazing young men and women in our student ministry that are doing great things right now. They're not someday going to do great things. They're doing great things. And I'm excited about that. Our young adult ministries, life groups are growing. We're seeing new leaders raise up, uh, rise up and, and, and take the mantle. Uh, we're seeing our older adults that have been here, that have been the bedrock of our church for decades. They haven't, they haven't lightened their load. They're, they're continuing to pull on that yoke and do God's work in powerful ways. They inspire me every day. People are starting to connect to the Lord in new ways, and I'm so excited about that. Robert and I talked about it. When you, when you sit in worship, when you worship at First Baptist, there's a new spirit here. I don't mean the Holy Spirit is new. He's the same Holy Spirit, but I think we're connecting with Him in new ways, and that's wonderful to see. Our church continues to be financially healthy, and that is something I can't thank you enough for. I, I just want to tell you one story. Last year, we had a surplus of funds, and so we were able to do some things that we didn't even budget for. For example, there was this group, there's this group called RIP Medical Debt. Some of you remember this. And their whole thing, their whole uh, shtick, they, not the right word, but you know what I mean. Their whole thing is they take donations and they talk to, they, they find people who are stuck in medical debt and they talk to the bill collectors and they negotiate a, a, a settlement and take away the debt. So they took our donations and were able through that to cancel 8.3 million, with an M, million dollars in debt. That's, that means 4,300 people in this area got a letter that said, thanks to First Baptist Conroe and RIP medical debt, you are now medically debt free. Last year, we also, yeah, that's a woo, absolutely. Last year, we also sent our first mission team since before the pandemic. They went to Maine, uh, our first all-church mission, uh, mission team, that is. And they went to Waterville, Maine, where we partner with Living Water Church there in Waterville. And that's a church that's reaching people for Christ in one of the least Christian states in America. We also got ESL back going after a couple of years of hiatus for COVID. Uh, so we're, we're reaching our community through that. There's also our partnership with Sam Houston Elementary. The teachers there all have uh, partners here, uh, uh, people who've adopted those teachers and are pouring into their lives and students as well. We continue to feed the homeless on Tuesdays, send Christmas boxes to Samaritan's Purse. There are many good things happening and I've just scratched the surface. But yeah, it's a good time to be part of this church. And yet still... There's so much more that I think God has planned for us. I don't think we're close to being where God wants us to be. If you've been here for long, hopefully you know our vision, but some of you are new and some of you may not have heard, so I want to share it with you. Our vision is we want to work alongside God in bringing peace to chaos in Montgomery County by engaging in 10,000 transforming relationships by the year 2030. Transforming relationships is a term we just made up. It just refers to anytime you invest in someone else, with the love of Christ. And it could be your classic uh, witnessing situation where you share the gospel and ask for a response, but it could simply be uh, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, someone you know casually, and you decide, I'm going to deepen this relationship in hopes that God's going to use it. Or someone you know is struggling in some way and you think, I can help them. I'm going to do that. That's a transforming relationship. And there are good things happening through those in the two years we've been doing this. 
but we have a problem. Our problem is we haven't figured out a good way to track these transforming relationships, so we don't really know how many we have. We want to get to 10,000, but for two years now, we've tried to get people to fill out cards that list all the information. Well, there's people who will tell me, Jeff, I'm, I'm doing that. I just, I just never remember to fill out a card. And there's other people who tell me, I just feel like I'm bragging if I fill out a card. And other people who tell me, well, I'm afraid that my friend might see their name on a card and, and that wouldn't happen. But still, we've decided, you know, we're going to find a new way to track these. We're going to keep the cards for those of you that want us to know so we as a staff can be praying for you but we're going to find a new way to track this. But here's the new goal for this year. Here's what our emphasis is going to be. We're just going to focus on doubling the number of people in our church who are intentionally investing in someone else. So if the sum total of your walk with the Lord is you go to church, you do your best to follow the commandments of Christ, you pray, uh, and you, you try to practice those spiritual disciplines, that's great. But we want you to take the next step of saying, I want my faith to be about making a difference in somebody else's life too. Somebody that the world doesn't expect me to care about. So yeah, I'm, I'm expected to care about my kids, my spouse, my parents. But this is somebody else. This is going the extra mile. This is investing in someone like God has invested in me. And there's a couple of reasons why we're on this. Number one, our community is full of chaos, just like every other human community is. Full of lostness, darkness, and pain. And Jesus is the only answer to that. The only ultimate answer is Him. And, and if you've grown up in church, you may have not realized this yet, but lost people don't just wander into churches these days. People who don't know Jesus don't say, you know, my life's a mess, I think I'll go to church. Because most people who aren't Christians, number one, church isn't on their radar, God isn't on their radar, and if it is, they're, they're more likely to say, that's the last place I want to be when my life is a mess. So how is the Lord going to reach them? He reaches them not through us waiting for them, not through anything I can say from behind this pulpit, but through you reaching out to the people who are already in your orbit, for you investing in people that God has brought to you for that specific purpose. So that's one reason. But the second reason, it's for them. The second reason is for us. This is the way we're supposed to live. We're not fully living the Christian life if we're not also reaching out. We're, we're not a reservoir that just collects. We're supposed to be a stream that sends it out too. And the trap for us as Christians, let's be honest, is that we just get comfortable. That we sit in the same pew every Sunday and we sing the same songs, and we don't sing the ones that we don't like, and we listen to the same messages and the same Bible stories, and we go home, and that feels really good because it's familiar, and we like comfortable. But Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He said, I've come. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross. Follow me. He didn't say pick up your couch cushion. He didn't say pick up your remote, your smartphone. He said pick up your cross. And so... I just want to tell you about an experience I had that just kind of illustrates this and the trap we usually fall into. I, it, was, it was a Tuesday, just could be any day, but it was a Tuesday in December, early December, and uh, I was having one of those days where I knew I needed to get a lot of sermon prep done, and I was really on a roll. You know, if you've ever prepared any kind of presentation, sermon or lesson or anything, you know that sometimes it takes you a while to get started. Your mind's in a hundred different directions, and then suddenly you get locked in, and you're like, aha, now, no interruptions, right? i got to get this done. Well, I'll, I'll strike while the iron's hot. And right then the phone rang, and it was Teresa in our office, and she said, uh, there's a young man here who wants to speak to the pastor. 
And I just have to confess, I let out a long sigh. Because I knew from her words that meant this is not a church member. This is not someone who has an appointment with you. This is, this is a guy who came in off the street. You know, we're a downtown church, so we get a lot of people who walk in off the street, and a lot of them have a lot of serious needs, and we've come up with a pretty good way of helping people and making sure that uh, you know, we do what the Lord has called us to do. And that's good. But right then was not the time for me. I, I, I was like, God... This is not, I'm on a roll. Why now? Can't someone else? Why does it have to be the pastor? Can't someone else help this guy? And I confessed it to God and said, help my attitude because I know that's not right. And I walked down there and it was this guy. I'm going to call him Juan. That wasn't his name. And I, I immediately knew that Juan was in trouble. First of all, he had an ankle monitor. Um, he, was, he had come in because he, was, he had a court date that morning. I mean, he was going to stand before a judge that morning, parked in our parking lot, saw the church and said, I need somebody to pray for me. So he told me about his life and his life was a mess. And he was very honest. He didn't make any excuses. A lot of his pain he brought on himself. And, and he wanted me to pray for him. And I, I said, you know, Juan, let me tell you about Jesus because he's the one who can make your life new. He's what you're looking for. And Juan was honest with me. He said, I've been a spiritual person my whole life, but I've never been re religious. I've seen a lot of bad things that Christians have done. I don't, I'm not ready to make that leap. And I said, okay, okay, but I, I want you to think about this. Christians will let you down. Churches are flawed because they're full of flawed people, but Jesus will never let you down. So I'm not asking you what you believe about Christians. I'm asking you to figure out what you believe about Jesus. And I gave him a copy of my book, Finding Jesus, because that's what that's about. And I prayed for him and I said, hey, come back anytime. Come back every day if you want to, but you need to get this straightened out. I haven't seen Juan since, because I know he went, he went straight to the courthouse. I know someone who works over there and said, hey, I saw this guy carrying your book. It was him. My guess is that Juan's in jail right now. That, that's, that was the result of what he'd done, what he told me he'd done. But I'm so glad that I had that conversation with him. I'm so glad because God can take that and he can use that. He can water that seed that was planted and, and who knows what he can do. Pray for him. God knows who you're praying for when you say, Lord, please lead Juan to salvation. But my whole point in that story is my gut wanted me to say, Teresa, I don't have time for this. Send somebody else. My gut wanted me to say, this is what I do on Tuesdays. I write sermons. Leave me alone. And we all have our little comfort zone, don't we? We all have our little routine that we don't want to get out of. And life gets messy when you get invested in other people because other people's messes become your messes. And they take away your time and you don't have as much time to watch Netflix. You don't have much time to watch football. You don't have as much time to level up on that video game. You don't have as much time as you used to have but that's what we're called to do. And if you don't get out of that routine, out of that comfort zone, invest in someone else, you miss opportunities to see God work and you miss the opportunity to become the person God wanted you to be in the first place. Now back to that story I told you at the first. We look at God and we know that we're saved only because of Him. We, he found us when we were starving. He opened His bag of feed, right? And He sustained us and He saved our lives. And a lot of us as Christians, if we're honest, our unspoken thing to God is, okay, God, that's enough. Don't give me the whole bag. I don't need the whole bag. I've got enough. Now, why would we say that to God? Why wouldn't we want everything God has for us? Well, because we like being in control. 
Now, when you give God too much latitude, He's going to take your life in a direction you didn't plan. We love the things of this world, and, and we're secretly afraid that if we, if we get too excited about Jesus, He's going to take away some of those things that make our lives so convenient and pleasurable. And most of all, deep down inside, a lot of us don't really trust Him. Can we, can we be honest with ourselves? Sure, I trust Him with my eternal soul. I'm not actually using it right now, so that's pretty easy. Um, trust Him to forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die because I really don't have another uh, alternative to that. But as far as my earthly happiness, as far as the direction my life goes, as far as my career path, as far as all those decisions, well, I want control of those things, Lord. I don't really trust You with that. And how ridiculous, how stupid is that logic? Because He's the God who knows all things. He's the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And He's also the God who sent His Son to die for me. Who literally would rather die for me than live without me. So if He cares about me that much and He's that good and He's that wise, why would I want Him to give me everything He has planned? I mean, He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows how many tears you've cried and what you cried over. He knows your dreams. He knows your nightmares. And He loves you enough to take you to the place you need to go and make you into the person He created you to be. So, in just a minute, I'm going to lead us in prayer. One of the great things about God, He can listen to you pray while I pray. Unlike most men, He can actually multitask, okay? So I want to challenge you while I'm praying to pray, Lord, I do trust You. I want to trust You more. So pour out everything You have for me. Pour it out on me and leave nothing in the bag. And then rejoice because He'll do it. Because He is able to do far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, we praise You for being exactly who Your Word says You are and everything that we need and more. Lord, I pray first of all for anyone here who does not know You in a personal way and has not received that salvation You purchased for us at the cross. Lord, I pray that today would be their day that they would recognize there's no greater thing they could do, no better change they could make than to experience new life. I pray for Juan, wherever he is right now, that you would remind him of our conversation and the other many ways you've reached out to him over the years and bring him to salvation. Lord, I pray for all of us here this morning. All the fear that we hold in our hearts, all the tendency we have to stay the same. Lord, help us to release that and just to trust you enough to say, Take me in the direction you want me to go. Teach me the things you want me to learn. Make me the person you want me to be. And hold nothing back, Lord. We pray that, that we would please you, but Lord, we pray also that we would experience all of you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray all these things. Amen.